Amen. All right. Hey, grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 9, and give your attention to the reading of God's Word today. As Pastor Jason said, we will be in Psalm chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. When you're there, say it's all about Jesus. All right. Psalm chapter 1. To the choir master, according to the Muthleben, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion, Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Oh, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Haggion, Selah. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, we're making our way through um, the book of Psalms, and we are actually going to be hitting pause um, in a few weeks. And for our vision series, as we always do in the month of September, we look at what God is going to have in store for us this year. We are going to be launching into the study of the book of Acts. And so that is going to take us all the way up to Christmas as we look at our heritage and foundation and see what God has in store for us. So that's super exciting. We're going to be starting that on September 12th. Um, if you've been wanting to invite somebody, everybody is sort of back um, a little bit into their 
uh, routines with school starting back and everything like that. And this time of year, statistics show that unbelievers or people who do not have a home church are willing and ready to um, attend a church. But always in the statistics, what it shows is that nobody from another church asks them, okay? And so listen, I would just encourage you, this time of year, everybody is looking to be a part of something. Invite them to come and be a part on September 12th. Hey, we are in Psalm 9 today. And um, just as a way of introduction, on February 24th, 1989... The United Airlines Flight 811 took off from Honolulu on its way to New Zealand and ended up making the newspaper. This is the Honolulu advisor with a whole chunk um, side of the plane that was missing. The 747 climbed to 22,000 feet, which is the normal flying height, when all of a sudden the cargo door blew open tearing a huge hole into the side of the plane, and immediately nine people were sucked out of the plane. What happened was a piece of luggage or something obstructed the door from being shut all the way, and when they got to that high of an altitude, a vacuum happened, and it just didn't take the door. It took a whole side of the plane. Panic erupted, but that is when, on February 24th, 1989... David Cronin stepped onto the pages of history. David was the pilot at the time. David had been flying for 30 years, and when everything happened, he brought 30-plus years of wisdom to bear. He would have to land the plane at 195 miles per hour compared to the normal speed of 170 miles an hour. The jet weighed 610,000 pounds, well over Boving's recommended stress load of 564,000 pounds. Captain Cronin made one of the smoothest and safest landings ever recorded in flight History. The guy was a hero. He made national news. He went all over the place. Um, and when he was interviewed, this is, the, this is the moneymaker right here. When he was interviewed, you know, pilots, like, there, there's a number of people in my life that I don't really care if they have a good personality or not, okay? So, like, if I have to have brain surgery, I don't care about my brain surgeon's personality, all right? I just want him to be a really good brain surgeon, all right? Um, my pilot, I don't really care about my pilot's personality, okay? I want him to be an incredible pilot. Most of those guys are left-brainers. They're analytical thinkers. And when he was interviewed, he said these words. In that moment when everything happened... I said a prayer for my passengers momentarily and then got back to business, right? I said a quick prayer for my passengers, I thought that was interesting, and then got back to business. Um, in that moment when crisis hit for that pilot, he had to recall something. He had to recall over 30 plus years of experience all of his flight school training. When he didn't know what to do, he had to do something. He had to remember something. Um, Psalm chapter 9 and Psalm 10 go together, actually. Um, 
Um, actually, in the Hebrew Bible, they're one psalm. Now, they're divided in our Bibles because there's enough to actually divide them. But actually, David writing Psalm 9 and Psalm 10, they form an acrostic poem where each line, each verse, represents a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So that tells us that this was probably used, Psalm 9 and 10, were memorized by small children, by the way in which it was written. When you look at Psalm 9, David is in a crisis. Something is going on. In verse 9, it says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Underline that word trouble there in your Bible or your neighbor's Bible if they've already fallen asleep at the beginning of the sermon here. Um, the word, that word trouble is only used twice in the whole Bible. Psalm 9 and at the beginning of Psalm 10. It actually, uh, a better translation would be death. So David is saying, in a moment of crisis, in a moment when I am looking at death, the Lord is a stronghold, but there is a scarlet thread through Psalm 9. Um, verse 1 starts it, and then verse 14, it's actually the title of the psalm, but look at verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. And then verse 14 is the same way. The title in my Bible is, I will recount your wonderful deeds. The word recount there is not passive. It's not like um, I'm just going to sit there and sugar plum fairies and rainbows and lilies and just think about all the good things. It means to actively recount or to number so listen, let's tie all of this together. Um, just like a pilot David Cronin, when crisis hit, he had to remember his training. He had to remember something and then get back to business. In Psalm 9, when crisis or death hits in David's world, he actively numbers and remembers what God has done. Um, listen, here's the big idea in the thesis for us today, and it's this. When I don't know what to do, I must remember what God has done. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had that moment? Have you ever had that phone call when there's the family crisis or your boss calls you in and says we're laying people off or the doctor's office called back immediately a lot sooner than what you thought they were going to call and they said we need you to come in for more testing? Have you ever had that moment when now a decision needs to be made? Something has to happen and that decision is forever going to change your or your family's life. And you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. And what I see in Psalm 9 is in those moments when we don't know what to do, we've got to remember what God has done. David recounts, I love it, all of the wonderful deeds. I just meditated on verse 1 this week, but I will recount all... All of your wonderful deeds. Could you imagine this? Could you imagine, and, and, and maybe this is just a bit of a challenge for you, but if you're struggling with some quiet time or some, or some devotional time, what if 
from Sunday to Sunday, starting um, tomorrow morning, what if for just 5, 10, 15 minutes you had a blank sheet of paper and you started your day with prayer and Bible reading, reading through the Bible like we do, but just in, in that limited amount of time, you just think back over your life and you number and you count what God has done for you. And just on Tuesday, you just pick up right where you left off. And then Wednesday, you pick up right where you left off. And every day, you get to start and you get to look. Listen, instead of the problems, instead of the list, instead of what needs to get done, instead of all of these other things, what if we started with what God has done? How, how would your day change? How would your week change? What do we need to remember? Well, I think there's three just sort of key things in the passage. When you don't know what to do, you've got to remember what God has done. And I just want to remember three things in the passage today. The first one is this. Um, you're not going to like this, but here we go. Um, remember, um, my circumstances don't control my attitude. <laughs> That's just point one, right? You're like, oh, right? Um, look, look at verse one. I just, man, this week, verse 1 and 2 just stuck out to me. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt. I will sing praises. Um, anybody? Anybody picking up on something? I will, I will, I will, I will. Four times in two verses, David makes a decision. David is facing death, facing a crisis, and David has the audacity to say, I will. And then he does a number of things. I will give thanks. I will recount. I will be glad. For some of you, that's the word for you today. Just underlining that in your Bible, posting that on a sticky note, no matter what it is. I will be glad. I will sing praises. I mean, all through this psalm, I see David doing something. David is making a conscious decision, an effort. I mean, I see here that, that worship is a choice this is what I will do. I love what Spurgeon said in his commentary on the Psalms. With a holy resolution. Man, nobody talks like that anymore. That's so good. With a holy resolution, David begins this hymn. It sometimes needs all of our determination to face the foe and bless the Lord in the teeth of our enemies, vowing that whoever else may be silent we will bless his name. That is good. Vowing with a holy resolution that no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in my, with my coworkers, no matter what's happening with my family, I will. And then he uses emotional language. Be glad, sing, be thankful. But, but listen, I've been in the game long enough, okay? I know what you're doing. You're saying like, amen, and like you agree in your head because you're like, pastor, you're supposed to say that. You're like supposed to say that like you can control your attitude and like your thoughts and stuff like that. But, but, but pastor, you don't understand. Because see, my thing, like, my, like even right now, today, like you don't get what I'm like, it, and you're right, I have no idea. 
I have no clue. I don't. Um, but what if, what if, what if I could show you as a fact from history somebody that was in the worst, I would arguably say the worst circumstance that humanity's ever known. Oh, and by the way, they were also a clinical psychologist who also knew about science and how the brain works and says that you actually can control your attitude and your circumstances don't have to dictate it. Um, the man's name is Viktor Frankl, and I've used him before. Viktor Frankl was a prisoner in the Holocaust. He was a clinical psychologist. Spent his time there towards the end in Auschwitz. He was there when they were freed. I mean, to walk out of the gates of Auschwitz, you are in a very low statistic. And Viktor Frankl has one of the most powerful quotes that I've ever known when it comes to this idea of attitude. When they asked him about what it was like, he said these words. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance, to choose one's own way. That is so powerful. A man who was in concentration camps, who saw the atrocities and some of the worst things that have ever happened in human history, said that the last thing, the last thing that anybody can ever try to take away from you is our attitudes. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. You can't control your circumstances. Stop trying to do that. That will drive you crazy. You can't control the other person. You can't choose your circumstances but you can choose your attitude in your circumstances. Guys, you absolutely can. And David is proof of that. Viktor Frankl is proof of that. So listen, you're right. I don't know what the scenario is. But I'm sure it was horrific. I'm sure your heart is broken. But what would it look like if you were like David and just four times in two verses, I will, I will. I love the song that we sang. Yes, I will. I will, no matter what, I will praise your name. Remember that your circumstances don't control your attitude. And I know what you're saying. Well, what's the basis for that? Am I just supposed to will it to be? Like, how can I choose my attitude? What do I need to be grateful about when I'm facing a crisis? Well, remember the second thing. Um, remember God is sitting on the throne. Remember that God is sitting on the throne. There's a thread all through these verses. I mean, look at verse 4. For you have maintained my just cause. You sat on the throne and you are a righteous judge. Verse 7. But the Lord sits enthroned. He has established his throne. Verse 8. He judges. Verse 8. He judges. Verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned 
enthroned in Zion. Verse 16, the Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. Verse 19, arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. I think David's trying to tell us something. He's trying to show us that there is a throne that governs the cosmos and that that throne is occupied and that God sits on that throne. Why is that such a big deal? Well, if we're trying to control our attitude and we will sing praises to God no matter what is going on in our circumstances, um, listen, the only hope for justice sits on the judgment seat of God. That's it. That's the only hope we have. Next week, you're going to learn more about what that justice is. That's what Psalm 10 ends up picking up on is oppression and justice and all of that. But listen, here's what I'm trying to say. At the end of the day, no matter what, at the end of the day, you can take this to the bank. God will make it right. God will make it right. Listen, God will not be mocked. No matter what is going on over in the Middle East, no matter is what's happening within our nation, no matter what is going on in your world, listen, the problem that we have is God's timing. And I love what Warren Wearsby says. God's children live off promises, not explanations. God gives his children promises, not detailed spreadsheets, Okay? And I know that you would love to know the exact timing because then that would affect the. And listen, at the end of the day, we then live by faith. But do you know what the practical application of this is? Apart from the fact of when we look through church history and Christians who knew about God's justice and God's holiness, for vengeance is mine, says the Lord, do not repay. God will make it right. Do you know what um, the practical application is for you? Um, it takes the pressure off you. Because listen, when you try to sit on that throne and you're the judge of everybody else and all those relationships and all of that stuff and they didn't and they should have because they always and if I just, it's just the way I am. And listen here, and if, listen, your life will be riddled with anxiety that way. I love what Billy Graham said. He said these words. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. And it's my job to love. I mean, how, how much more differently would the world look at the church if we lived that way? The pressure's off, man. You're not judge and jury. Now, there are things in the New Testament for believers and this, that, and the other. But what I'm saying, what David finds solace in is that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave and he sits as ruler over the cosmos. And no matter what happens in the world and no matter what turmoil is taking place, we as Christians know and we believe that there will be a day. Jesus Christ said that there will be a day where when people who mocked him and who always said that God is not just, that there will be a day when God's justice rolls like the rivers and people will ask for the rocks to crush them so they would not witness the very judgment day of God. 
But listen, that is happening and that will come. And for us, we say, Lord, come quickly. And for us, the pressure is off. Remember that God sits on the throne. Remember that your circumstances do not control your attitude. You can control that. And then the last thing that I see is this. This is beautiful. Remember, God hasn't forgotten you. Do you see how they build on each other? David says, I will. I will worship no matter what. I will be glad no matter what. Why? Because God sits on the throne. And then we think, well, God's on the throne. God's like super busy. God's probably involved with like the Middle East and a lot of that stuff. God's not really involved in in my life. Um, Wrong. God is always present and at work. But what's the problem is, is our awareness of that. Look at what he says in verse 10. David talks about this idea of memory. Verse 10, he says, For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Verse 12, For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Verse 14, That I may recount or remember all of your praises. Then here's the key. Here's the key. Verse 17, The wicked shall return to Sheol, which is the grave. All the nations that forget God. Listen, dear friends, this is the problem. God has not forgotten you. We have forgotten God. God has not forgotten us. Look at this. God will not turn away from the cry of the oppressed. God will not refuse the cry of the poor. God will not refuse the cry of the needy. And don't just read that financially. That is who we are. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For we were dead in our trespasses and sins. As Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, for you pride yourself in knowledge and you pride yourself in clothing. But you, you Laodiceans, you are naked, you are poor, and you are blind. This is who we are apart from the mercy and the grace of God. But there is one verse that has just haunted me all this week. And it is verse 17. The wicked shall return to Sheol. All the nations that forget God. I thought about it all week as I watched the news. As I saw everything that's going on. Listen, do you know what the greatest temptation and the greatest Um, sin will be of the uh, church of the American West. Listen, it is not poverty and it is not persecution. The church always grows, always grows under those two things. It is prosperity. Prosperity always in the pages of Scripture is the doorway of forgetting our dependence upon God. And we as a nation are a prosperous nation. And I'm weary to my bones. And I don't care who it is to watch our president stand there and misuse Scripture of Isaiah. Listen, I don't care if it was President Biden, President Trump. Listen to me. God will not be mocked. And the church of Jesus Christ will not be prostituted for votes. 
And the moment that you ring that bell and you incorporate this book is the moment that the church prophetically stands and says, this will not happen. This will not happen. But all the nations that forget God, they will end in ruin. I did a little bit of research. And on 1863, President Lincoln... On April 30th of 1863, with everything that had been happening in the Civil War, called for a national day of prayer and fasting and humiliation. I mean, listen, the President of the United States called on all of the governors and said on this day we will declare prayer and fasting for we as a nation are on the edge if not over the cliff and on his official declaration and proclamation please teach your kids this please read this to your children Abraham Lincoln said these words, By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and all the nations, has by a resolution requested by the President to designate and set apart this day, a national day of prayer and fasting. And President Lincoln says this, It is the duty of nations as well as of men who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by a history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of this civil war which now desolates the land Maybe, but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people, intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. We are too proud to pray to the God that made us. We have grown in numbers. We have grown in wealth. And we have grown in power as no other nation. But my dear Americans, we have forgotten God. But you see, President Lincoln understood something and it was prophetic in nature. And it's what David is saying is nothing will happen corporately unless it is understood individually. That's how movements are birthed. It's not this idea of where are we going as a nation or what's happening in the White House. It's what's happening in my house. What's happening in my heart and in my mind and at the end of the day, no matter what you're facing, what we do first is we pause. And when we don't know what to do, we remember what God has done. So in closing, I think this. 
I think many of us in our life have probably been asking this question. What am I, what am I to do right now? I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're dealing with. It, it, it could be a relationship. It could be job. It could be whatever. Just for a moment, instead of asking this question, I don't want you to ask, what am I supposed to do right now? I want you to ask this question. Not, what do I do right now? But what has God done for me in my life? I just want you to focus on what's been done. I just want you to recount I just want you, while we sing this next song, and while you come forward and gather the elements of communion, I want you to remember when your kid came home from camp and said that they had accepted Christ. I want you to remember in that moment when that person called you and said, hey, I know that you've been praying for me, and I want to let you know that God did it, that it's happened. I want you to remember that moment that when you were filled with anxiety and fear and when you were sitting in the doctor's office and you knew what the x-ray would say and you could see it and the doctor comes in and says, it's not there anymore. We don't know how to explain this, but it's not there. I want you to remember that moment when you were lost and you had no idea what was going on in your life you were broken and you were in despair. You felt worthless. You felt guilty. You felt shame. And I want you to remember when the Heavenly Father, the Creator of the universe, wrapped His arms around you. It says no matter how you feel, you feel like the whole world's rejected you, but you're mine and you're coming with me. I want you to remember that. Did you know that that's what the gathering is? That that's what we do here on Sunday? Why do you think we come every week? Some of, some of you don't even know how to answer that question. You're like, what? Well, I, I was just raised in church and I thought if we didn't come, we were like in trouble or something like that, right? Isn't there like a heavenly attendance sheet or something like that? No. Do you know historically what the gathering is? The, the gathering historically is when the church comes together, we remember the body and the blood that was shed and broken, and then we celebrate what God had done all week. God saved my neighbor. God saved my boss. God provided for us. We, we weren't going to get the paycheck, but then God provided this for us. And then we gather together and we celebrate and we pray for one another and we hear God's word. And then do you know what we do? We leave and we go out. And we go back out in the world and we're armed amidst the darkness with the full heart, as David said, for all that God has done. So what would it look like for us during this next song not to focus on this, but to focus on this? And maybe just as you're singing, you're just saying it out loud to yourself, God, thank you so much for this moment in my life. God, thank you so much for this moment in my life. Watch God do something amidst that. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today so grateful. God, that there is not enough paper in the world for us to write down and recall by number everything that you've done for just a single individual in this room. But may our hearts and minds be overtaken with your grace and your mercy. God, please give us the power to remember that on Monday, Monday does not determine and control our attitude. That no matter what happens, we can't control the circumstances, but we can control how we're going to respond. God, may we remember that you are seated on the throne and that you are just 
and that you are holy and at the end of the day you will make it right and then God may we never forget that you have not forgotten us God, I feel just today an inclination that there is somebody in here today who just feels overlooked. They feel marginalized. They feel like they are dying inside and nobody knows. And God, if they are within earshot of my voice, may they hear and know that you are not forgotten, that you are loved, that you are cherished, that you are created on purpose and with a purpose. Holy Spirit, may we do as David says, may we recount it with a whole heart. God, not half a heart, but may we sing for what God has done. Eternal salvation, healing, miracles, provision, prophecies. May we declare and may we sing that the God of the Bible is the God of today. May we stand in the gap for all that is happening in the world. And may the church, with a prophetic voice, stand and say, our God reigns. Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.